Innovations in minimally invasive surgery and therapeutic endoscopy are contributing to a promising field called Natural Orifice Transluminal Endoscopic Surgery, or NOTES. What are the most appealing benefits to NOTES? How do we anticipate patients will respond to a NOTES procedure? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and our guest today is Dr. Nathaniel Soper, Professor and Chair of Surgery at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Soper is a leading contributor to emerging topics in minimally invasive surgery. Welcome, Dr. Soper. Well, thanks very much for having me today. Today we are discussing minimally invasive procedure, including NOTES, Natural Orifice Transluminal Endoscopic Surgery. Dr. Soper, what exactly is NOTES? Well, it arises from and is a continuation of other minimally invasive procedures in surgery. I kind of grew up in the laparoscopy era in that we went from making big incisions to do things in the in the belly to very small incisions using TV cameras and long, narrow instruments to go through incisions that range from 2 to 10 millimeters in length. And we were able to show that the outcomes were better for the patients, less pain, less shorter hospitalizations, more rapid return to work, and that sort of thing. Over the last 10 years, there's also been a lot of advancements in flexible endoscopic procedures, that is, like colonoscopy or upper GI endoscopy, such that gastroenterologists and surgical endoscopists were doing more and more, removing mucosa and tumors and things like that. The idea came that, well, why not just put a hole in the wall of the organ and go out in the abdomen and do stuff and then go back in and close the wall of the organ? So that's the basic premise, that you would go through a natural orifice, be the mouth or the anus or the vagina, or you can think of all the available orifices out there, go down, for instance, the mouth into the stomach, put a hole in the stomach wall, put the scope out into the abdomen, do something, come back in, close the hole, come out the mouth, and you do an operation without any external incisions at all. Since laparoscopic surgery was so much more advantageous to the patient in terms of post-operative pain secondary to the, the minimal incisions, does it really make that much of a difference to exclude an incision that's half a centimeter or a centimeter in length? Well, you know, we don't really know the answer to that question. The possibility is that there would be advantages, even from a pain standpoint. And the reason is because there are no sharp pain fibers in the walls of the hollow viscera. If I could put an endoscope in your stomach without giving you any medicine at all, if I put a sharp instrument out the end and stuck the wall of the stomach, you wouldn't feel it. Whereas if I put a balloon in there and blew it up, it would hurt. So it's different kind of pain fibers. So it's possible that you could do these operations with little or no pain at all. Clearly, the difference in pain between laparoscopy and notes would be less than the transition from traditional surgery and laparoscopy. Now, you mentioned certain orifices. Which are the orifices that you would use? Well, in the laboratory, we've been using the, the anus, the vagina, and the mouth. In humans thus far around the world, the two orifices that have been used are the mouth and the vagina. Are you concerned at all about infection, especially when you're dealing with the anus or the vagina? Well, with the vagina, there's very little concern about that. The gynecologists have been doing uh, colposcopy for years 
you can pretty well sterilize the inner cavity of the vagina just with local antibiotics and that sort of thing. Going through the rectum makes everybody nervous, and that's why that hasn't been used clinically yet. How long have experiments been done on this? I think the first experiments were done around the year 2000 or 2001. The first individual to really publish was Tony Kalu at Johns Hopkins University. And what orifice did he use? the mouth and going out the stomach to do things in the upper abdomen. And how did that go? Well, he did a number of studies in pigs. And in fact, to my knowledge, they've not done any clinical cases at Johns Hopkins to date. So using pigs, he was able to show initially that they could look around and they could do biopsies. And then he did trials doing cholecystectomies and splenectomies removal of parts of the bowels, and gastrojejunostomies. Now, you had mentioned, in comparison to traditional laparoscopic surgery, that all of the access to the abdomen is done through natural orifices. Would that mean there would be multiple openings in, let's say, the stomach or the rectum or the vagina? That's possible, but most of the procedures that are being done currently are based on the premise that it would be one hole. And the challenge then is to come up with the instruments and the platform, if you will, that allows multiple instruments going through a relatively small diameter tube or endoscope. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Nathaniel Soper professor and chair of surgery at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. We're discussing minimally invasive procedures, notes, natural orifice, transluminal, endoscopic surgery. Dr. Soper, you were mentioning about using one opening as access for all the instrumentation, that being the scope, the retractor, the dissector. How can that be done? It is done with difficulty, given our current <laughs> instrumentation. There are companies, however, who are very interested in this and are developing totally new types of endoscopic platforms. And when you think about it, the traditional endoscopes, as they have been made, have a relatively small diameter, but most of it is taken up by the light going in and the, and the video image coming out. So what some companies are doing is making the diameter a little bit bigger, but then shrinking down the surface area of what it takes to bring the image out and then have more area through which to put instruments. So you can put multiple instruments out instead of the one or two that you can put out using traditional endoscopes. Now, in this type of procedure, what are the real potential benefits? Because those of us who, who do a lot of laparoscopic gallbladders, we're now sending them home the same day, and they really do quite well, generally speaking. The potential advantages would be less pain, potentially less chance of wound infections or, or hernias occurring, and then potentially cosmetically, obviously, many patients, I believe, would opt to have no incisions compared to even the small incisions associated with laparoscopy. Are there any significant drawbacks? Oh, absolutely. Depending on what orifice you use and what organ you go out into the abdominal cavity from, the real risk is that the hole that you create in the organ is not closed securely. It could leak and cause major problems or infections. Has that been a problem at least to this point? Most of the work that's been done in this area around the world has been in animals. 
just to prove the concept and to look at procedural development and instrument development. And in fact, in the animals that are generally used, there's been very little in the way of leakage or infections or things like that. Whether that directly is applicable to humans or not is unclear. The early results in small human trials conducted in the United States and Brazil, Argentina, and now some being done in Europe, is that essentially there's been no major problems, but I think we're all being very careful. Now, I remember many years ago when Jeff Ponsky and Mike Gouderer first developed the percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy technique, there was a real concern that they would have leakage and they would develop peritonitis, and that certainly wasn't the case. I think that this probably parallels that and that it probably will be safe, in your opinion? I think it probably will be. There's a lot of concern that just opening the wall of the stomach will lead to postoperative infections. And most of the surgeons who have been doing advanced laparoscopy have a great deal of experience of opening up the stomach or things or laying down staple lines. And as long as the patients receive perioperative antibiotics and the hole is closed securely so there's no postoperative leakage, that is a minimal problem. Now, would you keep these people in the hospital overnight at least as opposed to sending them home the same day like we do for gallbladders? Well, certainly right now we are until we fully appreciate what's going to happen with these folks. Now, you mentioned about the different equipment. Tell us about that. Well, when you think about it, when we surgeons operate, we usually try to triangulate what we're doing. And that means that your eyes are looking in at the target and the hands come in from both sides and it gives you the appreciation of three dimensions even if you're operating off a TV screen. Mm-hmm. And there's been a great science to exactly where you put the laparoscopic ports when you're doing laparoscopic operations. Now, fast forward to doing an endoscopic procedure. The flexible endoscopes are meant to be pushed along a relatively narrow lumen looking straight ahead, essentially, and they're very flexible. So you can imagine then making a hole in the stomach going out in the greater abdominal cavity, and all of a sudden, it's like you have a, a, a piece of spaghetti that you're trying to get you know, direct somewhere. So the flexibility is an issue. Second of all, you're looking straight out the end of the endoscope, and any instruments that you bring out are coming straight out the end of the instrument. So there's no way to get the triangulation as we normally would have it, and it makes it very difficult to understand where you are exactly in three-dimensional space with those instruments. So many companies now are developing alternatives, and I had mentioned one where a bigger diameter tube to start with and very and very much smaller area for optics so that you can get three or even four channels to put instruments down in. Other companies are making instruments that are flexible but then can be articulated so that they can be brought in and then angled back and forth and controlled and, and, and twirled in space and that sort of thing to allow more of the triangulation and that sort of thing to be possible. Now, as we both recall, when laparoscopic surgery became or was becoming popular, there were a lot of inadvertent injuries because of the lack of appreciation of not having three-dimensional views. Do you think that we will have the same learning curve in this new process? There will be a learning curve of sorts, but the imaging is not that much different than laparoscopy. It's two-dimensional coming off a TV screen, and most of us have learned how to compensate for that if we have a significant volume of laparoscopy in our practice. 
the techniques we will be using are going to be a little bit different based on the different instruments we're using. And also the images that we get are going to be from slightly different angles and things than what we're accustomed to with laparoscopy. And so we will have to learn how to, how to compensate for those things. And so certainly this requires a lot of training and experience in the animal lab and in other training venues before applying it in humans. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Nathaniel Soper. We have been discussing minimally invasive procedure, NOTES, natural orifice transluminal endoscopic surgery. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.